Hey, good morning, and thank you for joining us here at Hope Online. If you're visiting with us, we are excited to have you as a part of our digital campus while we are in this time of being together while apart. And uh, so I'm glad that you're with us. I'm uh, Jeff Bills. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm being joined by Pastor Rick Court as well. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this week, there was a crazy story. <laughs> it was about a guy who went out for a, uh, a sailboat ride. He was going to go out uh, off the coast of Florida at night, just stargazing and enjoying this beautiful scenery, right? Yeah, yeah. His name was Stuart, and he, it wasn't, he wasn't going out on a trip. He was just going out to stargaze for the evening. Yeah. It turns out he fell asleep while on the deck of his boat. I imagine looking up at the stars. Uh, he's 86 miles from shore. Well, he ends up 86 miles from shore, but he, uh, uh, his boat has a catastrophic fail, and it's, it begins to sink, and it happens so quickly, he has no time to prepare or to gather anything yeah. except for a seat cushion, and the, we, I think we have a picture. We're going to show you a picture as well. He ends up 86 miles offshore. Uh, there he is on his uh, upended boat. That's the anchor at the top. The rest of the boat is underwater, and he floated like that for the evening. That is terrifying. Like, can you imagine being that guy in that position where you're just kind of out for a joyride and all of a sudden you're in this catastrophic situation out at sea? Yep. I've been out at sea, you know, out on ships, cruise ships and so forth, and you can't see anything for miles no. but, but horizon. No, there is nothing there. He, uh, he, he's quoted as saying, I hung on to a floating cushion and fortunately the boat did not sink uh, completely. And so he hung on to the cushion and the boat, and he uh, barely hanging on to the sinking boat. He spent the night in that condition. Yeah, crazy. Well, the story has a happy ending. Uh, a ship came along uh, carrying a, uh, it was a Chiquita banana ship, and uh, <laughs> Fortunately, miraculously, they see Stuart B. out there in this situation, and uh, there's an image of him climbing up over uh, onto this rescue ship, and one of the things I found so intriguing was when he talked about how the crew had just embraced him, yeah. and they were so happy and elated, and they were feeding him, and, and I thought, why would they be that happy? Yeah guy from a different country, a guy they didn't even know, and I think it comes down to the fact that they understood the peril that he was in mm. and uh, the fragility of that whole thing and the experience of being rescued. Right. So we're in the week of hope. As we're talking about the Advent season, this is the week of hope, and of course that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Hope is living in the gap between despair and relief. Hope is the time between now and the not yet. It is this gap kind of time. So we're in a series this morning that Pastor Rick introduced last week where we're looking at the Christmas story through the life of Mary in this series that we're calling A Merry Christmas. It's a little play on words. It's not M-E-R-R-Y, it's M-A-R-R-Y. 
our why. We're looking at the Christmas story through the life and experience of Mary, but not just her experience in the Christmas story, but Mary's experience with Jesus. Mm -hmm. She was there through his whole life, his death, his resurrection, and the start of the early church. And what I've come to appreciate about Mary, because, you know, depending on the tradition that you come out of, in some traditions, Mary is so glorified Mm. that she becomes almost a deity, almost something other than, than human. And in other traditions, she's little more than a portal for the coming of Jesus. But as you look at the Gospels, as I've looked at the Gospels and her story throughout the Gospels, what I see is a woman, even as a young girl, of a deep and profound faith, and someone who is very human with all of the imperfections Mm. that we as human beings have. And so in that way, in that deep faith and that humanity, Mary becomes a great example, I think, for Mm. us all. So in this series, we're going to see her story, um, and we see in her story Joy tempered by warning, hope overcoming despair, love in the face of indifference, and peace even in the midst of chaos. And so this morning, we're going to look at two stories from Mary. We're going to start um, with a story that is at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and then rewind back to a story just before Jesus is born. Yeah, so this, so this first story is about 30 years after that very first Christmas, and it's Jesus' early ministry. It's actually his first miracle, and it's in John chapter 2. And we're not going to read the whole story, but we're going to read just a few verses. It's going to be on the screen over my shoulder. And in John chapter 2, John writes, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother, Mary, was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told Jesus, they have no more wine. Now that simple statement may not mean much in the 21st century, but any time in the first century where there was a failing to provide hospitality would have been a problem. But for provisions like wine to fail, uh, for, for that to fail at a wedding, this would mean real and deep humiliation for the bride and groom and for their families. And uh, uh, because wine and the first century culture were deeply and intricately connected. Uh, because of the lack of filtration, it was safer to drink water than, uh, uh, it was safer to drink than to drink water. It was used as a disinfectant for wounds. Uh, They used wine to dye clothes, which kind of makes sense because, you know, we know how hard it is to get wine stains out of clothing, right? Uh, It's an aid for digestion in the first century, and it was used for religious rituals. Uh, As a matter of fact, the ancient rabbis had a saying that went, without wine there is no joy. Now, they weren't talking about a fun Friday night. Uh, What they were saying is that wine was deeply steeped within all of society, and it included every part of Jewish culture. So for Mary to make this statement to Jesus, she was letting him know there's a problem here. And this is a significant issue for this wedding celebration. And she makes a request of Jesus to help. 
Now, Jesus then goes and gives instructions to the servants who are there, and he asks them to find some vessels to, uh, to fill with water. And so they come back with these large vessels filled with water. It's a lot of water. As a matter of fact, that water is turned into a lot of wine. It's estimated to be about 180 gallons of wine. That's, wow. that's either a, a testament, testimony to how big the party was and how many people <laughs> were invited, or it just is evidence of Jesus's lavishness when he decides to perform miracles. But 180 gallons of wine. And it turns out it's the best wine that's been served all day. It's a great story. I encourage you to read it. It's in John chapter 2. It's just a few verses, but I love it because in this story, Jesus saves the day. He saves the party. He saves this family from embarrassment. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus and Mary and first century culture. But there's this one exchange in there between Mary and Jesus that uh, you may not notice as well unless you read in the message version. So in the message version, Jesus says that, uh, or Mary says there's no more wine, and Jesus responds this way. It's not on the screen, just here. Jesus says, is that any of your business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. And then the message version says, don't push me. Uh, it's just spoken like a son would talk to a mother, right? Yes. And then the writer goes on to say, uh, uh, the message writer goes on to say that uh, Mary, she just went ahead anyway. Again, just like mom, right? So I love this part of the story because Jesus might be God wrapped in human flesh, but he's still a son and he has a mom. <laughs> I love that. It's great. Uh, so Mary tells the servants, and really, while I'm making a little bit of a, there's a little humor there, uh, Mary tells the servants, after she says there's no more wine, after Jesus says, this isn't my time, Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, she doesn't know what Jesus will do, but she knows Jesus. He's her son. And Mary knows Jesus will do something. Now, she may not know what he's going to do, but she knows that he is going to do something. I love the idea that others were at the party. They're focused on this deficit of wine. But Mary, she saw opportunity because she knows Jesus is present. Mary was focused on the hope, right? While others might have seen despair, might have seen embarrassment, but Mary knew who was on the guest list, right? She knew Jesus was present and had been invited. While others were distracted by empty wine glasses, Mary, she gave her attention to Jesus. And like Jeff said earlier, uh, uh, this is part of Mary's life. This isn't a one-off story where Mary had this faith in her son, Jesus. This is part of who she was. So, and love that story as well. So rewind 30 years. Yeah. And uh, we have Mary, who has just heard from an angel, Gabriel, that she is going to miraculously conceive, and she is going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And in that one moment, her whole world, her whole life plan turned upside down. What she imagined her life would be was going to radically change from that point forward. Let me put Mary in a little bit of context at that point in her life. First of all, she's, she's young. Mm. And she's young in a culture that really esteemed older people who had great wisdom. I call that the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> she was young, and so that had her kind of on the periphery. She was poor. Mm. 
She was female, and that made her, at best, second-class citizen in this culture in which she lived. And she was from the wrong side of the tracks, having, been, uh, having uh, come from Galilee. So that's who she is, and those things alone could cause some despair in someone who's looking at their life and their opportunities in life. In addition, she was, uh, in terms of her religious life, she was living in a period of time between the covenant that God made with Abraham and a new covenant that was about to be unfolding in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So she's living in this in-between time that what many Bible scholars call 400 years of silence, that there was no major prophetic voice from the end of what we understand to be the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. 400 years of silence. That's a long time to be holding on to a mat adrift in a vast ocean. Hmm. Not that God was silent or absent during those times. He was silent. Not that he was absent during those times. God was not absent. It's just that they were waiting. The nation of Israel was waiting for the Messiah to come. Some, I'm sure, in that 400 period of time had lost hope, they had lost confidence, and they were living in a kind of despair that the Messiah was a myth, that there was no Messiah coming. But others, faithful men and women, over those times were waiting with confidence and with assurance, with hope. I love what happens next. So as Mary's pregnancy begins to uh, develop, she goes to be with her cousin Elizabeth. And when the two women meet, Mary breaks out into song. She breaks out into song. This 400 years of silence is broken with a song coming from this faithful young woman. And in that, she is expressing her hope and the hope of the nation. We heard this song in uh, the opening song that uh, the band did this morning. And I want to go through it. It's, it. We refer to it now as Mary's Magnificat. Um, I want to read not the whole thing, but just sections of it and look at what Mary was singing about. So it begins with Mary saying, this is from Luke chapter 1, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So in this moment, Mary is recognizing her hope has been realized, that she's not been forgotten, mm. that even though she comes from the wrong side of the tracks and she's poor and young and female, and so God was with her all along, and she is rejoicing in this relief, in this hope mm. that's been realized. And that would make sense. 
But here's the thing about Mary. She has this maturity because of her faith that she sees not just her own circumstance, but sees beyond that to others. And so it goes on in verse 50. She goes on and says this. He, God, shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Mary is aware of the fact that every generation back over those 400 years, those who did not give in to despair, those who held on to their hope, God had not abandoned them, that God had been merciful to them all the way through and continues through Mary and generations yet to come. Mm -hmm. That Mary recognized that in God's absence, or in God's silence, God was not absent. And then moving on to the conclusion, Mary sang these words. It's verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made this promise to our ancestors to Abraham and his children forever forever Mary recognized that God had been with Israel all the way through from the very beginning so now the question is how do we choose to wait? How do we choose to live in that gap between what may feel like a desperate time, what may feel like a challenging time, and relief? How do we, how do you live in hope? Mary chose to wait in faith. Mm. Her circumstances could have easily had her live her life in despair, but instead, she put her trust in mm. God and ultimately in Jesus. So even in desperate times, there was hope. Yeah. Yeah, so just like Stuart B., right, our, our capsized uh, uh, boat, boat captain capsized in his boat, yeah. clinging to this sea cushion and, and his uh, uh, barely floating uh, remnants of a boat, a boat appears on the horizon. And his hope quickly transitioned, and that led to his rescue. See, Mary chose to trust an angel while not knowing the details and remained focused on God. She chose to sing. I love that, that she was singing while living in the in-between, right? Mm. I mean, how really, it begs the question, how could she sing? But she had this belief that God works even when you can't see God working, that she knew God. She knows Jesus. She knew what Jesus would do. Hope is choosing to sing. Hope is choosing to see the horizon. So really, whatever may have you capsized, it may be doubt right now. It may be fear or anger or uncertainty. Often we believe that the, the moment is the thing, and it's all we can see is the seat cushion and the capsized boat. And we believe that our current circumstance is the only reality and the only possibility, and we become limited in our focus and only cling to the despair. And it, it, it may keep us afloat, but it will not save the day. 
And I'm there right, I'm right there with you. This season is a difficult season. I mean, this pandemic continues to reveal all the brokenness in our world, and it can leave us feeling stranded. But our challenge as Christ followers is to see beyond, to trust in hope, to believe in another outcome, even when God seems silent. And when we look at the world through the eyes of faith, we can see an overflowing wine while surrounded by empty glasses. Mm. And even if faced with 400 years of silence, our faith tells us that hope is a reality in this life and in the life to come. Right, Jeff? Oh, man. And that's really the fine point on this is that hope, real hope, is an eternal hope. Mm. That the last word on hope is how we live in the gap between this life, Mm. no matter what goes on in this life, and the life to come. If all you have is a hope in things in this life, that's like living your life holding on to a mat until eventually you drown. But we have a different kind of hope. Mm -hmm. We have a faith that calls out to eternity. How, is, how important is hope? The Apostle Paul, I think, put it best. Paul said, and I'm paraphrasing now, Paul said, you know, at the end of the day, there are three things that really matter, three things that are going to mm-hmm. endure. One of those things is faith. Faith is about believing without seeing. Mm-hmm. Everybody has faith. The question is, what do you put your faith in? He said, the other, another thing is love. Love is about putting our faith into action for those of us who are Christ followers. See, if you're a Christ follower, your faith is in Christ. And Christ calls us to live our lives in love. Mm-hmm. To express love in all that we do in all of those relationships. So we have this faith in the unseen Jesus that we are living out in love. And in between the gap is this hope. This hope. Our belief and our actions living in hope. Hope is the unswerving confidence that our ultimate rescue Our eternal rescue is guaranteed through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.